0: Asia Tech Podcast, voice of the Asian tech ecosystem. Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast. My name is Graham Brown. Here we are in the ATP studio in Singapore with my next guest, Magnus Grimeland, who is the founder and chief executive officer of Antler Antler. Now, Antler describes itself as a startup generator, taking tier one startup talent and turning it into some of the biggest businesses in the world today. That's the challenge. Businesses that are going to change the world and society. What is Magnus's vision? We're going to find out a little bit about that, as well as his background at the global fashion group, Zalora and Rocket Internet, as well as some interesting angles there as well in his personal journey in history being an ice-climbing instructor, and Norwegian Navy SEALs. What kind of mindset do you need to be a successful entrepreneur, founder? And what is the importance of giving up? And when should you give up? When should you learn how to quit the stuff that isn't working and double down on what is? Coming up in the next 40 minutes, Asia Tech Podcast interview with Magnus Grimeland. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. We are go. We are in the Asia Tech Podcast Studio. My name is Graham Brown. Joined by, and I'm going to try and pronounce this in the Norwegian style, Magnus Grimeland. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's pretty good. Was that pretty good? Yeah, I out like of ten. Yes, I'd, I'd say An nine A, out of ten. Nine out of ten.
0: B, I think we should try harder. <laughs> Magnus Grimeland. Well, people know you very well as the founder and CEO of Antler. Plus, you've been involved in growing e-commerce and startup businesses here in Asia for many years. We'll talk about your journey as well. Originally from... Drummond in Norway, yes. Drammen in Norway. For yeah. those that don't know Drammen, just put us on the
1: map. Yeah, so you're in Oslo and you go down the Oslo fjord and, and on the right-hand side, about 30 minutes down there, you get there. But, uh, you know, I grew up a little bit further south from there, which is right. a farm country in Norway. It's called Holminsander. It's literally... You know 100 people live there right right it's a big about, transition from where you are now yeah right? it's about you know seven kilometers to the closest store right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: okay it's interesting because i mean you're you, you've had a number of years working in e-commerce as well and you've come from that background it's just sort of fascinating transition as well especially norway to where we are in
1: asia where are you actually based where do you live i live in singapore now yeah so uh, at bullmoral road here just yeah. uh, not too far away from the studio here yeah Nice place. Good.
0: Good. Excellent. We're going to talk about your, your journey coming here, how you got here. Also, what interests you in Asia right now and your work at Antler, obviously. Um, maybe we can start in the reverse order, put Antler on the table so people understand. A lot of people know Antler, but what exactly is it? I mean, you know, I know you describe it in different ways and to, you know, you're not an incubator, you're not an accelerator. What exactly are you?
1: We're a generator. Mm. That's what we call it. So, literally, what we do is we take top talent, couple them with great ideas, and then build innovative companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that's what we do. So, literally, we're looking for top triple A talent. Uh, we couple them together in teams with uh, you know great tech background, great product background. Typically, we'd then be people who are amazing at building businesses, mm-hmm. uh, and then we spend a lot of time going deep on specific business models uh that are interesting for the founders and for us solving uh, the world's biggest problems or southeast asia's biggest problems in right. in in this situation um always with tech being the background of uh, uh you know being able to make this company scalable uh, right. so that's what we do
0: do they come to you with the business idea or do you put those businesses together like a venture builder
1: so in the end we um we about 50 percent of the companies being built comes from the founders themselves, the mm-hmm. idea come with them. About 25%, I'd say, is us working with them within mm-hmm. the areas of their competency, right? So if someone has worked 10, 12 years with robotics, we typically would work with that person to to come up with something within that field. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 25% would be, you know, us working with partners like venture capital companies on which areas they find the most interesting we work with corporates which areas they find the most interesting we also work with institutions you know for example the, you know the world restorative forum who are looking at sustainable mm. innovation uh, with other impact generators we also look at um, you know the government and their biggest priorities so the last 25% will be you know ideas that we have or other partners have Uh, for founders who are really excited about building something and using their competencies to build something, but they might not have the idea up front.
0: Right. Okay. Well, let's talk about this process. Let's put it into context because you've been involved in building many businesses which people will be familiar with. Let's just go through the list here. Obviously, Zalora. Yes. Most recently. Global Fashion Group. Yes, yes. Rocket Internet. Yes. Which have spawned many businesses here in Asia, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and before that, your your journey started in McKinsey. Yeah, I know you had a short BCG internship as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. McKinsey was—it's uh, interesting because that as a training ground as well. We had Kiran Tanner here on the show oh, recently, yes. you know, and I think he's ex-McKinsey as well. Yeah, and yeah. he, you know, it gives you that sort of generalist approach to building businesses. You can see patterns across many different businesses. Right? Yeah, you can. Um, now that you're on the other side of the table. People are coming to you. Let's talk about what it is that you look for so when somebody comes walks into antler headquarters and they have an idea what are you looking for in them is it having a great idea is it some kind of background is it in the founder and their personality what are the key sort of giveaways that tell you that that person is triple a talent like you mentioned
1: yes so I think that's a great question in the way that, you know, what, what makes a great business and what enables people to solve big problems, mm. right? And and in the end, you know, there are three reasons why startups fail that come up in all types of research being mm-hmm. done on it. And, and the, uh, typically number one that comes up is that people are working on the wrong thing. Um, uh, the second thing that comes up is they were running out of money. And the third thing that come up is is the team. The interesting thing there is, the team and the founders in the end are the ones who select what they're going to work on. Mm. Right. And if a great team is working on something that is meaningful, they will get the capital to make that happen. So we really believe everything comes down to the team and the founders. Mm. Uh, so that's the number one thing we're looking at. And in the founders, we believe that, you know, great founders can come from all walks of life. There's no, you know, specific formula for what makes a great founder, but there are a few kind of trends or things you can pull out right so number one is we believe great founders have a spike Uh, and the spike can be hard to define but it's literally something that makes that person greater than most other people on something Mm. and it can be a personality trait like you know you probably have friends who are just amazing at selling stuff or you know they're in an elevator and they make friends with everyone in the elevator before the elevator stops you know that's that's the spike, yeah. Mm. It can also be someone that you know who just are, they're just obsessed with a specific topic, right? They can tell you, let's say they can tell you everything about rocket engines mm. and they read everything online about rocket engines and everything that's happening within that space. And they studied it and they're perhaps working with it in some capacity. But that's another type of spike. Somebody who's very analytical, somebody who's amazing at, you know, coding. It mm. um, can be someone who's just a natural leader, you know, the person who, Uh, you know always was the captain of the team or they always naturally pull together They're the person who organizes the the trip with friends or whatever it is you know so we're really looking for that spike in someone and if we can find that um, we really believe this is good founder material if it's combined with a couple other things you need Mm. the spike the other thing we're looking for is a drive like this Relentless ability to do, just get stuff done, yeah. right? And and you, you can kind of feel if people have this inner engine. And the greatest founders out there, they have this engine which just makes stuff possible. Um, and you can see a little bit, uh, you know, whether someone has drive just, just in the room, but you can also see it based on a bit their history, right? Mm-hmm. Have, have they, exactly. you know, done something uh, unique in the past? Um, the third that I think is critical, and possibly the most important is tenacity, right? So is this a person that never gives up? Mm. Um, because all amazing companies will run into issues at some point in time, right? I mean, Google's had their struggles in the beginning. Microsoft had it. Apple you know, went through many times where they were almost bankrupt. Look at Tesla, what's happening with Tesla right now. Um, you know, f- from our Solora background, there were so many times we run into issues mm. that, you know, some people m- might have given up and uh, gone on and done something else. And I think great founders, you know, they take those situations where there's difficulties and they come out of it stronger. And they will do that six or seven times before they're at the mm. stage where their company really survives. And it's literally this is 99.9% of companies will be in a situation like this. So if you have founders there who basically say failure is not an option, and I'm going to just make this happen, mm. um, the likelihood of succeeding is just much, much higher. So these right. are the kind of three things we're really looking for uh, in our founders. And if we feel that we have that, then you know we'd love to work with them on building a great business.
0: I want to ask you more about that. Obviously, this point about never giving up, Tenacity, the drive, and I know your background as well, being a Norwegian Navy SEAL. <laughs> so we've got to throw that into it. And I'm wondering about your expectations of other people as well, because yeah. not everybody can be a Navy SEAL, right? <laughs> You've got a different kind of programming going on up there. So I'll talk about that in a minute. Your spike, yeah, Magnus. What do you think your spike is as a founder, as an entrepreneur, as an investor, as well? Effectively, so what is it that you do? What do you think that you have? as a character which maybe sets you out as the one percent in a certain group of people
1: i'd say you know um number one would be uh probably the drive angle so mm. you know uh, for me I have a relentless amount of energy to just get things done mm. uh, which also for me it's it's actually useful to surround myself sometimes with people who you can put a bit of breaks uh, on, on things that I do, which it's useful also, and I'd like to kind of tie that back to what we discussed earlier, right? It's useful to surround yourself with people in your founding team mm. uh, that are complementary to your strengths, right? So uh, typically for me, it's good to have someone in my founding team that can put a bit of brakes on my drive because I typically want to do a lot of things at the same time and very, very fast. Mm. Um, uh, so I'd say that's number one. Number two, Probably on the leadership side, I think I have a good good read on people and a way to get people on board um, uh, that have different skill sets to me to build something uh, great. And that's what we're doing in, in Antler now, right? If you look at our roster of, of partners, venture partners mm. and advisors, I think there are some of the the greatest people here in the region now when it comes to technology, building companies, uh, lots of experience of investing, Um, lots of experience within different functionalities Uh, and this I think also um, is is one of my core strengths is being able to pull together a team Hmm. uh, that enables our organization and company to do better. Hmm. I'm not doubting you at all because I know your background and I'm
0: curious about Navy SEALs as well (laughs) and ice climbing Yeah,
1: (laughs) when you were younger, were you an instructor? Yes, I used to, when I was at Harvard and uh, also before that, I spent all my summers working as an ice climbing instructor right. know, to, to earn money, basically, uh, for yeah. the rest of the year. Uh, but, you know, it's pretty exciting. But you job. didn't
0: just do it to pay the bills, did you? You did it no, because of the I adventure. Mean, exactly.
1: I mean, yeah. I always loved climbing. I always liked being outdoors. And, you know, the job was literally meeting mm. 10 to 15 new people every day bring them up on the glacier and teach them how to ice climb it was literally you know i would have done that anyways with my friends and you got opportunity to meet a bunch of new people Uh, so i think you know and this also you know is another i think yeah good segue into entrepreneurship and building teams is just this if you're doing what you anyways really enjoy doing uh, and you can get paid doing it and you can you know solve some big problems doing Mm. it of course i think within ice climbing it was more giving people an adventure than solving a big world problem but uh you know it it really really made sense and and what i would always do on the glacier is kind of try to top the experience as much as possible because with ice climbing you can make it very easy Mm. um, and it becomes more of a scenic experience or you can push it really hard upon which point it becomes more extreme. Hmm. So you could always kind of look at the group up front that would meet you in the morning and see, okay, wh- where's the weakest link in a way? And then you kind of maximize the potential of the trip based on right. the yeah. weakest link in the group. You don't want anybody group. dying up there, right? So. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but then, you know, you try to bring it as extreme as possible by combining the scenic uh, yeah. parts of it. But it's it's great fun. Really recommend it. You, you tried it?
0: <laughs> no, but I'm I'm obsessed by uh risky adventures i think as well i mean i just wanted to ask you about the navy seals i'm i'm an ironman triathlete so fantastic yeah i mean i i love sort of those punishing sort of you know disciplines that people look at and think you call that fun yeah i love all that whether it's cycling up mountains or you know like swimming like you know ocean swims four kilometers on the ice you know running marathons i yeah. like all that i think this i'm always curious when i sit with entrepreneurs is you know what is going on in that brain is yeah that, is that something that's hardwired because you know you mentioned the that's founders a spike right yeah what is that is it is it something that we're programmed with because it could easily become a curse couldn't it for some people but it's very much a blessing if you can find the right people to surround yourself the right mentoring yeah. who understands actually you know i have this way of doing things in normal society it doesn't kind of work out but i know if i can try my luck as an entrepreneur it can turn out quite well because that actually becomes an advantage right yeah and what are your thoughts i mean is, is it something we're pre-programmed with Are entrepreneurs just slightly different or are they hardwired
1: in a different way I I really think it goes back to the spike thing, right? So, um, you know, I really liked what you said about doing the Ironmans that you're doing. I also picked up on that uh, about a year ago. So I did yeah. my first two Ironmans in the last first four last months, tour. which was what you great doing? fun. I did the one in Busselton. Um, oh, in Australia? Yes, yeah. in Australia. But uh, the swim got cancelled due to sharks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I want to do it now. Double. <laughs> yeah, okay. And and then uh,
1: I, I did the uh, the the one in Frankfurt, the European Championship. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, but I think it's a bit the same there, right? You know, when the people who do that, mm. they kind of to do it because it's so extreme, and and you you know, of course done it multiple times. You know that um, it's it's a lot about not giving up. Yeah. Right and uh and then, because you know you can always do it, but it's you know the ten hours of it is just very, very painful, yeah, uh, and I think being an entrepreneur is a, is a bit the same. I mean, it's not an easy experience. it's a lot of fun, hmm. uh, but it's not an easy experience, and I think there are uh the most of the entrepreneurs who don't succeed are what we kind of call lifestyle entrepreneurs. They're doing entrepreneurship because it's cool to be an entrepreneur, or they yeah entrepreneur. Know, yeah entrepreneur yeah <laughs> entrepreneur and it's kind of it's 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 sexy in a way but yeah. the, but they're not doing it because they're extremely passionate about building the company that they're working on or solving the particular problem that they're in or utilizing their spike mm. right so i think when you when you can apply your spike to uh to to, to a problem that you're also passionate about mm. uh, and you can bring people into your team and co-founders that have other spikes that complement you, you get this really kind of amazing mix. And then it's all about, I think, you know, not giving up, mm. uh, where I think, you know, you can draw the parallel back to the Ironman, right? I mean, it's just the last, you know, 20 kilometers of the yeah. of the marathon is not fun. The last exactly, 40 kilometers it's of on the <laughs> bike run is just like, you just, but you've decided to just finish it, right? Yeah, and yeah. I think the people who do finish Ironmans are the people with that type of attitude, right? Yeah. So, so you obviously have a spike there.
0: Yeah. And I think people think you're crazy for doing it, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it, and it's sometimes, you know, I think one thing that I've learned, I don't know about you, Magnus, is doing Ironman and doing a number of races is I've learned to pace myself. And it's a bit the same with entrepreneurship. I think entrepreneurs can be quite impatient. Like we've got to get stuff done. Come on. Like, why isn't this happening? Why isn't this happening? But as I've sort of done Ironman, I know that you can't do a race like that. You can't just go bam straight in and you know, like, I'm going to win the swim because you'll be dead when you come out of it, right? You know, you'll be, you, you've burnt all your energy for the rest of the race. And you know when you get on the bike and you've got a six-hour bike or a five-hour bike, you've got to pace that thing. You can't be charging up and racing people, unless you're professional, of course, yeah, of course. which most people aren't. Right? Yeah, yeah. I've learned to pace myself, and I think that gives me sort of a longer-term approach to entrepreneurship. Be patient. I saw Jeff Bezos saying yesterday about the three things that made Amazon a success. And, it, you know, one of them was be patient, you know, and you look at his journey as an entrepreneur. How much do you, you know, when you take entrepreneurs into Antler, how much do you sort of work and mold their personality? All these things that you've learned, you know, all these things that you know from different disciplines, how much needs work? You know, they've got a spike, but in a way they, they're talented, but they need refining, right?
1: They yeah. need
0: that sort of direction. What sort of things do you work on with them? Yeah.
1: So, um, what we do in the program is, so first, we're looking a lot at putting together teams, right? So we, we strongly believe that um, uh, two or three or four people, a co founding team or two or three or four people will do better than a co founding team of one person. Mm-hmm. There are great companies built by one person, but in general, you know, the likelihood of succeeding is just much, much higher if you're more people. And um, uh, so we look at how to put together a great team Uh, Which, you know, interestingly enough, and I think, you know, all the listeners will know this, that the first thing we look at there is not really what the person's skill set or the person's spike, but we look a lot at chemistry, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, number one of building a great team is having people together who really love working together. And as an entrepreneur, you need to spend 65 to 70 hours a week together for two to three years (laughs) at least, and then you can get a more normal lifestyle after. So. Uh, you really need that chemistry to be, to work well. When we feel that the chemistry is there, we start looking at skill sets, right? So, uh, what happens a lot in founding teams across the globe is that people will bring together their co-founders uh, based on who they know, and typically right. people know people who are alike themselves. So you have a lot of, you know, pure PhD co-founder teams. You have perhaps two techies who are coding together and they Mm. start a company together. You have two people who worked in McKinsey before together and they will start a company together. But you'd be better off combining possibly one from the coding community, one from Mm. the PhD community, and one who would worked in McKinsey together before and preferably with different spikes, right? So you have someone who's super analytical, someone who's a great leader and can pull together a great team. And then you have someone who's just a great salesperson or someone who's great at product and coding. So what we really do is, in the beginning, try to put together teams like that mm. uh, that will be stronger uh, than some teams that form organically. Because if you have the chemistry and you have, uh, you know, skill sets that are complementary to each other's and spikes that are complementary to some then you have really this ideal founding teams, like, you know, the star founding yeah. teams, like, you know, Steve Jobs and Vonsniak, right? It's just this great combination Uh, Or, you know, there's just so many examples of this out there uh, where, uh, you know, teams have come together and they've been able to accomplish stuff that they wouldn't have been able to do on their own. Hmm. So this is what we spend a lot of the first few weeks at. Then when we feel we have great teams, we start looking at business models. Um, And some of them come from the founders. If it comes from the founders, we spend a lot of time going deep on. How can we make this better, like testing it fast, mm. customer validation, if it's highly tech specific, we go and talk to the biggest experts in the industry. And, you know, most of the time, you know, that would be very good feedback on ensuring that you get deeper on the business model before you start building. Because there's also a lot of teams who, as you said earlier, right, when you prepare for an Ironman and you do an Ironman, you you pace yourself, you, mm. you prepare before you go there, you train before you go there. And then When you execute, you execute at the maximum speed to deliver the best result. Uh, what happens with a lot of startups is they will get together very quickly and then start building the product straight away and you know get to mm-hmm. market as quickly as possible. Which we also believe in, you should create a lot of early velocity, but you need to get uh, the kind of sequencing right. Right? So, for example, if I look at Solora as an example, mm. um, we uh, did some mistakes in the early w- early days where we did a lot of marketing positioning ourselves in the market as you know a high street fashion company um but we were selling um you know products that didn't match our 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 marketing right mm. uh, which when the customer came to our site they were disappointed about the products that they saw um and uh, and that's just because it takes time to sign up the big brands, right? You know, we had to negotiate with Nike and a bunch of these big brands over a long period of time. Uh, so if we in, instead had, you know, secured some of these big brands, the marketing effe- efficiency or, and our spend would be much, much higher. Same when you look at, um, uh, you know, a lot of deep tech companies. If you think about the product architecture and the tech architecture upfront. Uh, you making choices about, you know, what you outsource and what you insource. Mm. Uh, if you make it modular, if you make it into one big product, uh, you know, all these things will affect your ability to scale. So we spend time going deep on all of these things to ensure that the business model is as clear as possible before we start building. Mm-hmm. We're not talking a lot of time. We? We're talking two months. But spending two months getting the team right and getting exactly. you know, all of these things right about the business model will just enable you to be much more successful when you start building and spend your money more efficiently. Mm. And then you can run. And then you run as fast as possible right. after.
0: Only then. And the competition starts. But it it right? seems like what you do, Magnus, is you, you take people out of their comfort zone very early on. You don't let them dwell in their comfort zone. So, for example, the the example that you gave of the teams forming... like we were both at McKinsey. We know each other. It's comfortable. We'll start a business together. But you were saying it might actually be better if you take that McKinsey guy with the the deep tech programmer and put them together. Exactly. But that might be uncomfortable and less obvious for them to do. But you sort of force them in that direction. And similarly with the the steps you go through early on, the customer validation, you have a program that you take them through. You don't let them sit back and say, let's build this product and then you know, after six months, we'll go to the market and say, yeah. do you like it? You know, you get to the moment of truth straight, straight away. Straight away. You know, whether that's with the the experts in the industry or, you know, MVP it. You know, is anybody going to open their wallet and pay for this thing? Yeah, day exactly. One. You know, that seems to be a deliberate approach. How does that, I mean, with your background in the Navy SEALs, because I want to put this in. Because yeah. I think there are parallels here is is how does that sort of tie up there? Like getting out of your comfort zone straight away and not... You know, dwelling in where
1: it's comfortable to get results. I think there's some similarities there in the way that, like, first of all, like the very interesting thing with Navy SEALs training is that um, there's this like really intense funneling, right? And if you look at the entrepreneurial world, it's a bit like that as well. Yeah. I mean, if you look at how many companies are getting started versus how many people succeed, it's it's probably even harder than like doing Navy SEAL selection period, <laughs> right? to the hell week, whatever. And you know that's that's a bit of the same as you do in the navy seals. Is like you know you come in a few hundred people, um, or you know I think in our case like seven eight hundred people, and then uh, literally everything the officers are doing in that kind of six months you know training selection period is trying to get people to quit. Right. while at the same time kind of upskilling them, right? right? Which is a bit the same as we are doing, of course, without the physical training. But we are, you know, really trying to ensure that people get better and smarter throughout the program that we're running and are put into extremely good teams. But we're also really not trying to kind of keep anyone onto, onto the entrepreneurial journey, right? Mm. They, need to, they need to really, really want it. And they need to really want to build this company uh, and that's, I think, a lot what the Navy SEAL selection is all about. Is you know, nobody really gets kicked out of the the buds training program or the selection period in in the Navy SEALs. You have to kind of choose to not do it yourself. So mm. the people who are left there at the end are the people who just wanted it the most. Of course, you need to have you need to have that spike. You need to have the drive. You need to have a certain kind of basic, uh, you know. Uh, physical and mental ability, mm. but in the end, the people who are there at the end and the people who come out of a program, our program, are the people who really wanted it the most. And mm. I think that really makes the best entrepreneurs, and it definitely makes the best special forces operators. Mm. So If you look at, for example, the selection period of of uh, of the Navy SEALs, we had people there who were, you know, we had one guy who was Norwegian champion in uh, in weightlifting, we had another guy who was Norwegian champion in swimming. Uh, You know, we had a bunch of like super top athletes um, who, you know, wanted what they did before, you know, enough to become Norwegian or sometimes Olympic, Mm. you know, athletes, but they didn't pass uh, Navy SEAL training, not because they couldn't physically do it, but I think they just didn't want it enough Mm. or, you know, they weren't like mentally strong enough not to quit. Uh, and I think there's a lot of parallels there to being an entrepreneur is, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there who didn't succeed in building their business that had the skill set to do it. They could have done it, but they didn't have the mental toughness to right. to get to the end. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we're we're we just want to ensure in that kind of first part of our program that, you know, we have great teams that can really execute on mm. what they're doing, that they're working on a business model that really, really makes sense. And then that we really, you know, set them up for success. And we have a team then that really wants to execute and build this into billion dollar business. Mm. Uh, It's a long answer to a short question. No, it's a great answer as
0: well. And I think you're saving them time and the investors time as well if they're going down the wrong road. Yeah. Because you're getting to the moment of truth sooner rather than spending six months or, you know, a year building something that people don't want. Exactly. You know, you're getting to that point sooner. Yeah. Can I flip that on its head and just be argumentative now? Because you, uh, you, I mean, the the flip side is, is that, I mean, I was reading a, I mean, talking about climbing, I was reading a um, a insight into the commercial climbing expeditions on Everest and they've sort of grown in recent years. And they're talking about like mountain madness and the people who take, you know, for $50,000, you can get to the top of Everest, right? You know, with no climbing experience. You know, that was it. You could yeah. wear crampons. That was about it. But if you had the money, they could take you to the top. And they were asking the guides, um, what kind of clients do they have? So they have a mix. You know, they're all different kinds of people who have money yeah. and maybe a little bit crazy as well. And they said, what were the worst type of clients that you would take to the top? The ones that you worry about the most. And they said, well, this particular guide said, the, the, the ones I worry about the most are the business people. And he said, why is that? Because they never give up. Because, you know, if you, like, are trained never to give up, that's fine. You could, uh, you know, you could fail a business. You could walk away. You could start another one. But going up there into the death zone, if you never give up, you might not come back. There's a high chance of that. So sometimes we see this in business, don't we, where people don't give up. You know, they're, they're doing something and they're so determined to make this work. But you want to tell them this ain't working you got to stop 6 months in you know you you gambled everything so that quitting part as well let's talk a little bit about that because we don't talk about that a lot in in business when is there a point where somebody should quit how do they know because i get asked this as well how do i know i'm doing the right thing here
1: yeah i mean this this one is always hard um i think the key issue if you look at startups is um a lot of it is about finding out quit quickly whether you should quit or not or and in startups i think it's also not a lot it's often about not necessarily about quitting but changing direction right so perhaps you don't go to mont everest but you go to the base camp and then Mm. you go hiking you know 60 kilometers another direction because for some reason you're not built for the height right you know so so i think there's these types of considerations that needs to be done and what you very often see is you know, I have friends of mine who've been working on the business for three, four or five years um, and they become, you know, you know, small companies. They have some revenue. They have some customers. Uh, but if they did the right things in the early days and really tried much harder to scale faster, you know, it's a bit like, you know, um, uh, almost going up whatever is faster. It doesn't really work the analogy because you got to right. acclimatize yourself to, yeah, to yeah. the height. But, you know, try try to get the Everest as fast as possible and then if you see on the way that you know it doesn't work then then yeah. change direction right yeah, yeah. Or, or or learn that you may get and sickness you, exactly right yeah uh, and uh, and and this i think is critical right so first you know we really set up our companies and work with our founders to uh, t- to scale as fast as possible so they know whether you know their business model is going in the right direction, and you'd rather find out that in 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 five to six months, and then change direction, uh, instead of you know going at it and burning investor money mm. for three or four or five or six years, and then find out that it doesn't work. So I think a lot about this create a lot about it is about creating early velocity, early me early validation, mm. and the interesting thing is you can you can get validation not only in B2C, right? On B2B, even if you're in negotiations with governments and big, you know, businesses for a long period of time on contracts, uh, you can sign MOUs for them. You can start working on them. You can have commercial relationships early. That is part validation of your B2B ID. Mm. Also within deep tech, you know, if you're doing something within, let's say, water cleaning technology or artificial intelligence or uh, robotics, you can talk to the people who are really experts within the field and test it with them really really early, really really hard and find out whether you should change direction now instead of researching it for another three to four years, going in the wrong direction, right? So I think a lot about it is like finding out whether you'll be able to scale Mount Everest as soon as you can Right. and then, you know, if you're not able to do it anyways uh, then don't do it because you know, you're going to die. Exactly. (laughs) great then, advice, if anything. And then yeah. go go another place. Yeah, no, that's yeah.
0: cool. I, I'm really enjoying this conversation. I feel that we could talk a lot yeah. and we go into many different avenues. And we've just sort of opened the lid on many possibilities. Obviously, uh, I'd love to learn more about the Navy SEALs, yeah. Antler, about your background. I and mean, we talked about all the different companies that you've been with as well. We talk about Iron Man. I mean, yeah. that's a podcast on its own. Right? It's yeah, yeah, hours sure. and hours of conversation. Yeah,
1: should do another one, that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. Don't invite me. Don't tempt me because you know, <laughs> start throwing Iron Man in these long conversations. I have, I mean, next door we have an entrepreneur who's an Iron Man as well, an, okay. an, an age group athlete, all world series. So, yeah. you know, these are long conversations. But I, I'm sort of, you know, I think you've got uh, a really interesting approach to what you do. And I think it's refreshing as well that you're coming in and you, you're approaching it with it's, it's a very disciplined approach to entrepreneurship, which is great. People need that. Um, your background, you're bringing that kind of experience as well, that you've, you've built businesses of different sizes, and now you're out there on this challenge, right? I mean, it's fascinating what you're doing. Your attitude to life is one that I find quite inspiring as well. I know you've talked about this in the past as well. I just want to kind of capture this on tape as well. I know there's there's points when you were younger, things that mm. happened, and you lost people, for example, and that impacted you. And even now, you're sort of like thinking that through, and you you have this attitude to life. What what would your attitude to life be? And I preface that because I, I read somewhere. And correct me if I'm wrong. That you lost your grandma yeah. when you're quite young, right? Yes, and yes, that affected yes. you quite significantly, right? So yeah. how has that affected your attitude to life and what you do now? It seems to me like you're not wasting any time.
1: No, I think you're. I think that point in my life was very important for my life journey, and I think for everyone, I think uh, there are these moments in life that really kind of affects what you end up spending your entire life doing. And this was one of them, right? So, for me, my it was in the early days, my, my grandmother actually died and I don't know what happened at that point, but I started thinking a lot about life and death. How old are you? Uh, it was, I was, it was in, I was around 10 years, perhaps a little bit younger, a little bit older than that. And, uh, uh, and uh, uh, you start thinking through at an early i started thinking through at an early age um, what is the purpose of of kind of being here mm. right and you start thinking through um what do you want to uh, accomplish your life doing and i had you know i remember throughout those years after having a number of conversations with my parents and and, and my father uh, you know he's, he's he's a big socialist almost you know people would possibly say communist and uh, my mother is more of a hippie spiritualist, uh, so they came with very different types mm. of answers. Uh, and of course, you know, Norway. In Norway, we also have the state church, so you know, we, we. I was doing a lot with 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 them at the time, uh, but in the end, you know, I at least came to the conviction quite early in my life that, uh, you know, you want to kind of do something in life that leaves the world in a slightly better place than it was. Uh, before you were born, right, and then I started thinking through, okay, so how do you how right. do you best do that? And you know Norway's always been a country of explorers, uh, so I started thinking through you know what more is there to explore and at the time, you know the world was kind of um over explored. you know, I have mm-hmm. my friends in the military, when I was there, they were doing this kind of last big trips, you know, for example, one of them were walking from Russia. Uh, over the North Pole to Alaska, and you know, without getting any support on the way, like a yeah. 109-day skiing trip. So all of these trips have kind of been been done now. So I thought, okay, right. So there's kind of there's there's the exploration of uh, the universe, uh, and you know, everything the astronauts uh, mm. you know have currently been doing is is extremely exciting. And there I find it very exciting. Now what's happening in the in the kind of private space race, right? I mean, there's a lot of uh, interesting things going on there to make the human beings a spacefaring uh, society, um, and the other way I thought about it is, you know, if you can if you can use technology and knowledge uh, to make the world a better place. Mm. Uh, so I thought, okay, um, I'll try blo- both avenues. So I started thinking through you know, what I need to read and learn in school. I ended up doing the the special forces thing in the military to kind of set me up if I ended up going the adventure way. Mm. Then I ended up going to Harvard after to learn as much as possible. Um, And then in McKinsey, I was just focused on uh, as much as I could on technology. Then the European space program, unfortunately, very seldom Mm. brings in new astronauts. So I kind of stopped (laughs) stopped that avenue and now focused on how we can use technology to, uh, you know, enable a better world, and and uh, when we were done doing Solora, which was an amazing journey, learning journey for me, uh, you know, the solution was let's build a platform where we can bring on board hundreds, if not thousands, of entrepreneurs over the next few decades and look at solving some of the hmm. biggest problems out there. Um, and uh, and I feel like you know now I have this combination of doing what I'm really passionate about and, you know, enabling change in a way um, uh, in a global scale that we have not, you know, been able to do before. So that's what kind of formed the ideas behind Mm -hmm. Antler. So it's kind of this long journey. And I think, you know, for all the listeners, I think, you know, everyone has moments like that in life that if you crystallize it down to a set of beliefs, it will really kind of inform you in terms of what you should Do going forward Mm. so if there are people out there who are excited about you know becoming an entrepreneur and solving a big problem i mean uh we've set up a platform to kind of enable you to do that and we're looking from everything from people are great at technology people are just knows a lot about specific industry to to the businessman you know never give up going to whatever is so i think that's the kind of whole story behind that well it's an yeah. awesome
0: story as well and it's <laughs> an event i love it it's like an adventure which you're inviting people to share yeah with you right exactly. and it's an adventure you're going on an adventure with these these entrepreneurs as well yeah. yeah and they have a spirit of adventure and they i think that you know i talk to a lot of entrepreneurs people starting out as well and one of the most important things i think is surround yourself with the right people you've already mentioned it in the sense of like building that team to complement your skills there's also being around good people to motivate you. How important that is, right? Because you know, if you're you're stuck in an, an area where people don't get entrepreneurship, or you know, your spike becomes a negative. You want to be surrounded by where a situation where your spike becomes a real positive, right? People accentuate it. So, you know, what you're building really is a home for those people. You know, they can come and find similar, like minded Adventurers, exactly. entrepreneurs, crazy ones. Yeah. Now you have a home. So, what's yeah. the best way for people to reach out to you, Magnus? How do you like people to contact you? Do you have a preferred channel that yeah. you, they can reach you?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the best way uh, if anyone is interested in building a great business, just go to antler. slash apply, and uh, it's very easy. You just submit your name, and then you know it goes from there. And then, uh, if you want to reach me specifically, Magnus at antler. Uh, very open to get involved in all types of conversations and support all types of companies succeed. Uh, So, um, And, you know, we run now not only programs in in Southeast Asia, but we also have uh, programs running in Europe. So you can see Mm -hmm. the locations on our website. So also, I know this is a global podcast, so anyone who might be interested in building companies in Europe, that's open. And then uh, next year, uh, we're also going to be having programs in, in the US and China. So, uh, you know, at some point, if you're a budding entrepreneur with a dream to, you know, have a positive impact on the world and you wake up literally anywhere, uh, then, you know, go to Antler and we'll try to do our best to help you succeed.
0: Absolutely. Let's do it. Fantastic. Magnus Grimeland. Yeah. I get that right. Again, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for sharing your journey with us today. And thank you for sharing us, you know, your news and updates on Antler, what you're doing, your background. Your philosophies as well. And like uh, Magnus said, anybody that's interested in growing a business, just reach out, have that conversation, get started. Awesome. Fantastic. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.